Because, yeah, when you buy a company for, you know, six or 60 or $600 billion, and they've only got a small fraction of that intangible assets, you have to sign the value to something. And it's generally going to go to things like brand or goodwill or things like that. And that's basically sneak, sneak. That's basically where they, when they don't know where else to put it, that's where they put it. That's the catch-all. And now what we're talking about is valuing that. By the way, the accounting and finance industry have known, as, as a HR has known for a long time, people do have a value. It's a cost and it's a negative, which is why you see most actions by that companies take historically have been around trying to minimize people, minimize people costs because the cost side is well measured. The plus side, the value add, there's literally nothing. And so that is what we're talking about is getting more measures so they can construct literally a 360 holistic picture to say what value creation is the organization's workforce? What kind of sustainable social governance framework does the organization have that creates a powerful, highly productive, high-performing workforce? The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Well, hello, Googleization Nation, and welcome back to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We have got a jam-packed show today. A couple exciting things. One is we are going to talk about the new human capital disclosure requirements. If you thought that the pandemic wasn't enough, diversity and inclusion, record job openings, the great resignation wasn't hitting HR hard enough. Just wait till you hear what's coming down the pike with reporting on people's balance sheets. No longer just talking about people are our most important asset, but actually putting uh, putting that money on the table, putting it right up front. Transparency. What is your talent equity? How much is your talent worth? What's what's it costing you for retention, engagement, diversity, inclusion? It is a game changer, and they're really excited today. We're going to have Jeff Higgins from Human Capital Management Institute talking about that and some recent changes. Also, we have got Jennifer McClure from Disrupt HR. She has her own company on Bridal Talent, but mainly today, in the second segment, we're going to be talking about Disrupt HR. If you haven't heard about that, that's TED, that's basically TED Talks for HR, and I participated a few years ago in that and really a terrific experience. So we'll be talking with Jennifer and we'll be welcoming her. And we're also welcoming a new co-host to the show. Really excited about bringing on Jason Cochran. His co- company he works for, he's a co-founder, is Lead. Jason was a guest of mine. I reached out and that's where we met about 18 months ago. 
And the topic at that time was at the beginning of the pandemic. I think this was March of 2020. And Jason and I were talking about PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome from COVID. What was that going to look like? So that's not our topic today. That's how we met. And he and I became friends. And he is now going to be joining me weekly as the co-host of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. So let's bring on Jason. Give him a big Googleization Nation welcome. There he is. So, hey, Jason. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ira. It's good to see you and, and be with you, my friend. Thrilled yeah. and honored to be on this journey with you. No, absolutely. I'm really excited about it. And just as we went on the air, we were getting I was getting all these notices. Hopefully, they're not going to arrive now, but we're under a tornado watches. But that's your territory. You're out in Indiana, right? Right. We shouldn't be having him here in northeastern Pennsylvania, but apparently that's what climate change does for us. So tell us a little bit. We definitely want to jump into uh, having... Jack, join us. But tell, tell us a little bit about yourself and about DoLead. Yeah. As you mentioned, we, we met talking about PTSD. I'm a licensed psychologist and I'm the co-founder of DoLead. We are an employee experience platform. And obviously right now we're hearing a lot of stuff about employee experience and what is that. We basically handle things for businesses from onboarding to offboarding and most everything in between in the employee life cycle, performance management, change management, leadership development, micro learning, all of those things is one all-in-one solution so that you're not going to a whole bunch of different places for your needs to help attract, develop, and grow your people. So we'll definitely hear more about that in the future. As I said today, we are completely jam-packed, so excited to have you as my co-host, another set of ears and other perspective we can add to the discussions and make it even more valuable, not only for our listeners, but for our guests. This time, I want to bring on Jack. I just saw this this morning, doing a little bit of research. I just got to read it because I don't know the numbers offhand yet. But this is, this is incredible. In 1975, so you were just a kid, right, Jason? <laughs> yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But in 1975, 83% of the value of S&P companies was tied to physical assets, their machinery, their buildings, their real estate. And that's how, you know, certainly when accounting principles, business accounting principles uh, became more important in valuing companies, stock markets started to to really grow by leaps and bounds. The 80, um, what I say, 85% of a company's assets were real estate or physical assets. In 2015, it'd be interesting if there's an updated number, but in 2015, 84% of a company's values was their people. Complete switch, 16% was physical asset. Yet companies still only report physical assets on their balance. That's what they depreciate, that's what they value. They talk about people being our most important asset, but that doesn't happen. And with that, there is legislation in the works, and our guest, Jack Higgins, has been involved with two of the co-sponsors of that. One is Senator Warner. Many of you may be familiar with him. And so we're going to bring on Jack to learn about how human capital management disclosure is going to disrupt. That'll be our second topic, but it's how it's going to disrupt HR. So welcome to the show, Jack Higgins. There he is. So, Hi, Ira. It's great to be here. Hey, welcome, Jack. So, or Jeff, I kept saying Jack. Jeff, so I apologize. Right. Too many people's names. So, Jeff, we are on the verge 
kind of a few, sometimes I have the book right here, Future Shock. HR is going to have one more shock, one more thing added to their, to their table. Before we get there, let's just give a brief introduction to yourself and, and HCMI, your company, and then and tell us about a little bit about what human capital manager disclosure is. Sure, sure. So Jeff Higgins, founder and CEO of HCMI or Human Capital Management Institute. HCMI is a lot easier versus Human Capital Management Institute, bit of a mouthful there. We've been around for a dozen years. Really, we do all we do is bring numbers to people. So we do quantitative analytics, course planning. We have predictive analytics software. We've done a lot of consulting. I personally have done tons of training. I'm an adjunct professor at USC in their data sciences and operations department. And before that, which you may hear come out a little bit in the way I talk, especially if you're an HR person, I may sound like someone you interact with a lot. And that's because I'm a former CFO. So the CFO hat never, no matter how hard I try, I say I'm a recovering CFO, can't get that hat off 100%. It's somehow glued on a little bit permanently. Basically, to your to your introduction, Ira and, and Jason, and what we're talking about today, there have been a lot of changes. It's really been a slow buildup over a decade, but very recently, lots of changes, including the recent passage of what's called the WIDA Act, Workforce Investment Disclosure Act, in Congress in the House of Representatives, and that was with Congressman Axney. I was also sponsored by Senator Warner. Probably not going to get through the Senate, but strangely, it really doesn't matter because the new chairman of the SEC, Gensler, has already said they're going to take that act since it's already passed part of Congress and use it as a blueprint for prescriptive regulations that they are going to require. And flash of the latest, literally two days ago, saw an article from a senior level official in the LCIO union who had recently spoken with the SEC. It looks like they're going to publish these required metrics for comment. They'll have a comment period before it goes because they don't need an act of Congress to change regulations. So they've got I guess they think they need to move forward, and they've had a lot of pressure from institutional investors we can talk about. Paso should happen before the end of the year, this year, as if, to your point, everything else that's happening isn't enough. Wow. Right. Yeah. The uh, Another variant, right? <laughs> it's going to impact us. So what was, you know, Jason, I'm going to steal one of your questions, Jason, that we were talking about the other day. What prompted this? What prompted the action other than the numbers that I gave from 1975 to 2015? The value of assets went from, you know, physical assets were 85% and now it's completely flipped. Beyond that, I mean, but sometimes sometimes statistics say one thing, but nothing changes. <laughs> yeah. What prompted SEC to act on this now? Okay, yeah, great question. And by the way, I think the updated version is not 2020, but 2018 or 19. I think we're down to 11%, what we call physical tangible assets. The rest is intangible. That is basically value add that comes from people. It's IP, it's process, it's brand. Well, who creates all that? People do. So it's either people or a direct derivative from people as opposed to the physical world for which accounting was constructed to measure. But what's really Let me just behind ask you this? One question. Well, sure, before I forget sure. this, take this out of CFO lingo and to everybody <laughs> else. Is that goodwill? I mean, we're talking about when companies used to sell goodwill. I know I sold my practice 25 years ago, yep. and there was a line on it from "Here's the physical asset, here's the goodwill." Are we talking about really not monetizing, but actualizing and putting real value to the goodwill of a company? 
Yes. Now you're poking at a sore point in accounting. So <laughs> <laughs> they're all going to be anyone of accounting backgrounds going to squirm a little bit because yeah, when you buy a company for, you know, six or 60 or $600 billion and they've only got a small fraction of that intangible assets, you have to sign the value to something. And it's generally going to go to things like brand or goodwill or things like that. Right. And that's basically sneak, sneak. That's basically where they, when they don't know where else to put it, that's where they put it. That's the right. catch all. And now what we're talking about is valuing that. By the way, the accounting and finance industry have known, as, as a HR has known for a long time, people do have a value. It's a cost and it's a negative, which is why you see most actions by that companies take historically have been around trying to minimize people, minimize people costs because the cost side is well measured. The plus side, the value add, there's literally nothing. And so that is what we're talking about is getting more measures so they can construct literally a 360 holistic picture to say what value creation is the organization's workforce? What kind of sustainable social governance framework does the organization have that creates a powerful, highly productive, high-performing workforce? That's fascinating, Jeff. Quick follow-up question to that. Are there some things in place that are helping to measure that already? Like, are there some guidelines of here, are the kinds of measures here, are the kinds of tools and resources that are going to help to measure that so that there's a measuring stick or a standard to know how a company's doing in that area? Great question, Jason. And by the way, funny you mentioned standards. So there is, if you look at kind of the slow buildup of this, and to circle back to your original question, how did we get here? In December of 2018, a standard was created and published by ISO, the world's largest internet. It's the International Organization for Standards. They've got 159, 160 countries or members. They've created hundreds, even thousands of standards. Well, they created one for how to measure and report human capital, both for large and small companies, what metrics should be disclosed, what metrics companies might want to keep, you know, behind the scenes confidential. And that is a great foundation building block, I think, for all regulatory and securities commissions around the world to use as a reference guide, because a lot of research and a lot of expertise was put into that over a period of several years when it was created. And that was one of the genesis items. But I would argue the real genesis item at the end of the day for why we are where we are, where the SEC actually last year announced new rules on human capital disclosure. They were sadly vague, which is why now we're going, they're going back at the Apple to provide some prescriptive metrics that will require companies to disclose has really been investors, institutional investors with trillions of dollars of value. They, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe more, they bought into that. Yep. People are most valuable asset. People are source of value creation. You have the right talent. You have the right leadership. You're going to do great things. Sold, sold, sold. Where's my numbers and metrics on this most valuable asset? There's nothing in the financials. There's nothing in the annual report. There's nothing in the proxy state. Literally, there was only one thing in the prior SEC, how many employees you have. And companies couldn't even get that right. So they gave up and started saying approximately <laughs> and rounding the number. Wow. So that brings up, and yeah, we talk about analytics all the time. And, and again, I work with primarily, I have a few publicly traded companies, but most of them are, are small. They may have a couple thousand employees, but comp most companies are really struggling with HR metrics, which human capital metrics. I mean, you know, I always say, ask the simple question of how many people started an application and didn't finish it. You know, what's your turnover rate? And, you know, it's approximately and then go, well, what's your problem? And you say it's like 14 percent or 10 percent. I go, you know, that's 90 percent below the industry average. Why is it a problem for you with a low number? And they don't know because they really don't track it well or they track one position. So, I mean, it seems like a pretty big gap even when they come out with the regulations. So two part question is one is, you know, are there any companies doing it well? 
And how much of a leap is this going to be for companies? Yeah, great question. I would argue there's several several layers like an onion to that, but there are companies that are doing it well. And funny thing, some of the ones that are doing it well, don't you want you to know that they're doing well? Because of course, if you're able to manage this 80, 90% of your value creation source better than your competitors, you have a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. You know, forget the physical capital. You can get ROI on people decisions that, you know, is 10 times what you're going to get from a piece of machinery. So yeah, there are companies that do it really, really well. Some of them are out there. Some of them are disclosing more. Sadly, the U.S. is a laggard. Most of the most advanced or most transparent companies in the world are outside the U.S. What's really, I guess, what's really challenging, and to your point, when you start asking most companies about some specific metrics, they start hemming and hawing, or they, they can give you one number and can't go beyond that. Well, that is partly partly their fault, partly not their fault. So there is, I would argue, a silver, even a gold lining coming at the end of this. Because if you look at it, so if I put my fairness hat back on as a CFO, I used to beat up HR all the time because I couldn't add numbers well. Numbers was not a core skill set for the HR function. People didn't go into it to work with numbers. They wanted to work with people. Well, that's changing. So now literally half of the Fortune 500 and half of the S&P 500, maybe more than half now, actually have dedicated analytics and work planning individuals and teams. Some of them actually have large teams that are doing it. So numbers competency is no longer a problem. All the software creates so much data. So all this data, raw material to do analysis, that's out there. It's plentiful. It's like an ocean of data. The real challenge has been the lack of standards. So every company, you know, everyone has an opinion. Every company has a different way they want to measure something. So that lack of standards has been a problem. So the software providers don't put anything in there for standardized metrics to report. So it becomes much more of a manual effort for companies to pull it and run it. Hopefully with the ISO standard and now prescriptive by the SEC, that's going to change. Software providers, HCM industry is going to have to get on board and, and provide these because you think about it, you don't have to calculate a financial statement or a balance sheet from scratch. You have software that just does it for you and you print it out. It rolls up, you know, your financial software rolls up your financials. HR doesn't have such a thing. HR has lots of cool transaction processing software and lots of other cool technologies. But at the end of the day, when you want to do reporting, they're like, oh, yeah, we have this nice report wizard. You can pull whatever you want. Well, what if I don't know what I want? Well, you're pretty much at zero. <laughs> right. Or, or it's on a spreadsheet. Somebody's, yeah. Yeah. Or a yeah, spreadsheet, spreadsheet heaven or hell, depending on who you are. <laughs> and he's on vacation this week. So what are... Well, this is for publicly traded companies. Obviously, this is SEC related. What do you for sale? You know, I'm going to put your, your crystal ball hat, your crystal ball in front of you. Do you see this trickling down through through HR, through all companies? You know, is this going to be something that the private the private companies and especially medium, small, medium sized businesses are impacted by this? Short answer is yes. Give you there's some more interesting tidbits. FASB, the Financial Accounting Standards Board, is actually seeking input for how to better measure human capital and people, both as a cost and a value add. So they they are opening up. So my prediction is depending on how far forward you want to go. I'd say if we fast forward, you know, when my, my kids are much older, they're gonna say, Dad, how did companies manage? How did, how, did, how did investors manage and how did companies manage before they had to report and be more transparent about their human capital? It must have been pretty crazy. I'd say, yep, it was pretty crazy. Yeah, you know, bad things happen in a dark room. Companies don't want you to know. And a lot of times they're just embarrassed. They're, they're not perfect at all their metrics and they, they like to only publish good news. Well, you know, I'll put the CFO hat on and get over it because seriously, no company has perfect financial news unless maybe, you know, Google or, or 
Amazon and even their numbers, they always, there's always little, little fleas or little challenges. So it's really all about the story you create with those metrics and reporting them. And whether you're public or private, what's going to happen is the public company is going to have to do it. And then what's going to happen is the lenders, the investors, the private equity funds are going to say, well, this is what's coming out of public companies. We need you to do something like that. So it's just going to start filtering into other areas over time. I would imagine smaller companies are always going to have more leniency on that. I would say, you know, take it if you're a smaller company, take advantage of it if you can. Hold yourself to a higher standard because again, this is the value ROI in human capital. We've quoted this for companies is 10 to 1 on what you can get on most physical assets and returns. So if you make smarter decisions for every dollar you invest, you can get 10 back. Who doesn't want that? Absolutely. Jason, I know you had a couple questions wanted to fire off at uh, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Ira. Jeff, one of the other questions I think that a lot of our listeners would find interesting is, are there consequences for not disclosing or fudging your numbers or just being really poor with the human capital aspect? You're disclosing, but the numbers are really bad. Are there any kind of consequences that are built in from the SEC or will they be more of natural kind of consequences. For instance, maybe people won't want to go work for the company if that's public information. Yeah, actually, I think the last one you mentioned will be one of the consequences. The SEC is not looking to punish companies for, especially if it's a new metric, for doing it wrong. Companies, I think, are going to get a great experience. We didn't calculate it quite right. We're, cha- we're amending our you know, report from last year as they start to do this. However, what companies are doing is trying to minimize risk. If they're going to have to disclose, that adds a lot of risk. So the real risk, the real accountability is going to be shareholder lawsuits. So if they are doing, I'll just generalize, stupid stuff inside the organization, churning through workforce like crazy, you know, just putting butts in seats cheap and not trying to get good talent. And they're just just you know, literally burning burning human capital like fuel in a fire, thinking it's limitless instead of trying to op, you know, improve it, optimize it, invest in it, which is what other high-performing organizations are going, doing. I think they will be increasing the risk of that. The other thing that will happen is if they don't disclose something and there's a scandal, and you know how easily scandals can get out into social media now, it's going to be 10 times worse. So I would argue Mm -hmm. if you're really looking two moves on the chessboard ahead, you should disclose a lot of stuff, get the bad news out right away. Because I think aside from the embarrassment of not being good at something, it's actually great. Set the bar really low. Then any improvement looks good. You know, so what if your turnover rates twice your industry average? Hey, we know it's a problem. We're focusing on it. Here's our, here's all of our great initiatives a year later. Hopefully, you know, if you, you move enough, you know, if you just put enough attention in it, what is it? The, the study, you just study people enough. They'll be more likely to stay. You get some improvements and you, you show the value creation just by making some improvements in metric. And also institutional investors, this is not the Roman Coliseum where they're going to go, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, you know, kill them, sell everything or buy. It's not like that. They just want to know where you're at and are you working on it? They want you to be working on it. That's all I think they're really asking. It's not an absolute judgment. So I think, by the way, it's also about the story you tell. You could have really bad numbers, but if you could still have a great story about how you're improving, you're, you've been investing in other areas, now you're shifting more investment over to here and it's going to show up in your future human capital metrics results, that could be a great story. And speaking of shifting and, and changing metrics, where's diversity and inclusion fit into this? Good question. So DE&I is in the ISO standard. Actually, by the way, there's also another ISO standard just for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Oh. It is you know, 99% likely to be 
it was in the WIDA Act, so it was covered pretty well in the WIDA Act, as was segmentation of the workforce, full-time, part-time, you know, benefits receiving, non-benefits receiving workforce. Uh, so it's, it's really been well covered because it's been such a hot area. And really, by the way, if you think about it, the pandemic, a human crisis, unlike previous crises, which were financial in, ori in orientation, the DE&I, social justice, all of this is actually connected. I think actually all of this prompted the SEC to be more likely to act as opposed to put it off. Literally because of some of the DE&I and some of the social media and the demonstrations, the SEC, think about it, in a very prior chairman was very conservative, deciding to act actually was a very big step, even if they didn't prescribe metrics. So DE&I is well covered, and I'm sure that's going to be part of the disclosure requirements. So we're coming up toward the end of this, Jeff. To get started, again, a lot of our listeners are small, medium-sized businesses, privately owned, or they're, you know, again, not publicly traded, but they want to get, they want to get in on this. This is, this is their mission. This is the culture. Where do they start? What's, what's the first step other than calling you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they can call me. They can get, well, one great thing you can't lose if you say you're calculating all the metrics per this ISO standard and you certified yourself on the standard. That's, that's a really piece of safe ground to talk about reduced risk if you are going to disclose more, even if you're smaller to mid-size. The other way is, by the way, you can go, ISO is a nonprofit. It's a .org. You can go online and buy the standard, and there's a bunch of technical specifications to give you more on each of the metrics for you know, a few hundred dollars. So you, you can get started for a very small investment. You need somebody on the HR team or on the finance team who will actually read it and start to calculate some of the metrics. And then... Once, once you're started, start calling and or emailing and pressuring your whoever your HCM or your software provider is, well, your talent acquisition, your learning, your learning management system, your payroll provider, and saying, "Hey, where's my metrics? I need you to help me calculate these automatically." Because you can you can certainly download that data and do it on a spreadsheet, but that's pretty manual, and that's a great way because I've talked to a lot of very large providers, including the world's largest payroll provider, whom I won't mention, but their favorite color is red. <laughs> who basically said, yeah, we'll, we'll, be in, we'll be more interested in this when our customers ask for it. I'm like, really? Your customer already asking for it. I don't have so many. You're not hearing from the right ones. So when you add, I think there's enough of a, enough of a chant from the crowd. They will hear it and they will add it quickly. For sure. And I started the show. It's just one more thing. It's coming onto the HR table. It's getting pretty crowded out, out there. The list of priorities. You know, fortunately, privately, private companies have some time. Publicly traded companies are probably a bit more pressured, but it, I'm really glad to hear you say, you know, impact all companies because it should. And people have just hung the poster on the wall. People are our most important asset and they haven't definitely walked the talk for a long time. Jeff, what's the best way for people to reach out to you? Well, Jeff.Higgins at hcmi.co or jeff.higgins at hcminst.com is a great way to reach out. You can also check out our website at www.hcmi.co. We've got lots of case studies, white papers, research materials. So literally, in fact, you pick 25 key human capital questions, which is also a great place to start. What are our pain points and what metrics would help us measure those? And by the way, all of those kinds of metrics are already in the standards and already recommended for you. So some great tools to get you going. Appreciate you being here. It's great to meet. I, there's no question. You're going to be, hopefully you'll come back on, give us some updates. This is, this is definitely going to be a moving target and, and a really interesting story to follow. Appreciate you being here, Jeff. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I really enjoy speaking with you and Jason. And yeah, hopefully there'll be not too much, but there'll be some exciting new updates to share soon. Always is. Thanks very much. Thanks, thank thanks, you. Jeff. Okay. Amazing.
a lot of topics. I mean, my, my head's sort of spinning there with where this is headed. And, you know, as I just closed with Jeff, you know, for as long as I've been in the business, 25 years, I've been here and people are our most important asset. And it's moving from move from the it's moving from the poster to the balance sheet, <laughs> which which is going to be quite a big step for companies. And uh, we've talked about this before. For those who are interested, just a few months ago, actually, there's two episodes, but I believe it was in month is it? It's August. Back in May, we talked with Solange Shara. You can look up, just go to the Geek Skeezers Googleization website or your favorite podcast and look for cap, human capital management and it'll show up there. So Solange really works on the technical side of this. She is the data person and she gave some other insights and I'm, and I'm sure we'll have her back on. Maybe they will do a panel with both of them. It would be a, very interesting. We are going to take a short break. We thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. Uh, but don't go away because we're going to be right back with our next guest, Jennifer McClure. And we're going to be talking about Disrupt HR. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. A lot of you might be feeling like you're standing in deep shift. But do you know what grows and rises out of deep shift? Opportunity. To successfully navigate the shift to the new normal, each of us must learn to rapidly adapt to the speed of change. Some of us are hardwired for this, others, not so much. That's where Success Performance Solutions can help. Success Performance Solutions is now your AQ headquarters. Whether you are personally struggling with the next chapter in your career or wondering how ready your team is for fast, disruptive change, our AQ assessment and coaching will provide you a detailed, scientifically-backed roadmap to guide you into the new normal. Optimize your adaptability today. Contact Success Performance Solutions about evaluating your team's change readiness or joining our upcoming AQ Masterclass. Visit SuccessPerformanceSolutions.com or call us at 800-803-4303. Well, welcome back, Googleization Nation. Welcome to another episode of Geek Skeezers and Googleization. We had a really, really interesting first segment with Jeff Higgins from HCMI.co. If you missed it, Please go back and re-listen to that. You can catch it on any of the podcasts, YouTube, Facebook, Talk4 TV, and uh, you'll hear about what some of the big changes are coming down with measuring, you know, really putting your money on the table when you're talking about people are our most important asset. And of course, we got to welcome Jason Cochran from DoLead as our the new co-host. So you'll be seeing a lot of Jason over the next weeks and months and hopefully years. Uh, so welcome back, Jason. Yeah, it's great again to be with you, Iron. Yeah, what an amazing first segment. Not only the future of HR and, and organizations, but the press. It's incredible, like you said, how quickly things have, you know, congealed, you know, to this point where now you got to start figuring it out. And lots of great tips for HR leaders in particular as to how they can help have a seat at the table and drive those conversations. Right. And so that that's a good segue into talking about Disrupt HR. Four years ago, I had presented to Disrupt HR just about this time, and that was my first experience with it. It was fascinating. I actually met the first co-host of Geek Skeezers and Googleization there. It was actually our sort of a joint venture that we took off together, Keith Compagna. So I know many of you, many of the listeners know, know Keith pretty well. I know, Jason, you knew Keith, and he was that's where I met him. We were on stage together. We sat waiting to go on the platform. But you introduced me to Jennifer Clure just a few weeks ago, and she and offered to bring her on. I didn't realize at the time, because we were talking about her other company, that she had she was one of the founders of Disrupt HRs. Welcome. 
There she is. There's Jennifer. Welcome. Hi, Jennifer. Hi, how are you today? <laughs> great. It's good to see you. It's great to see you as well. So let's talk. You're sitting around the table. You how how did the origin of Disrupt HR? Where did that where did that come from? Certainly an ambitious initiative. And before going to be interested to see where it's going because as a public event like of public TED Talks, Disrupt HR were public events and very well attended. And all of a sudden there are no public events. So we want to hear about 2020 and, and what's going to happen. But what what was the start of this? What what you're sitting around and decided to have Disrupt HR? It was something like that. Yeah. Well, I started my own company in 2010 where I'm a professional speaker. So that's what I love to do is to speak and teach and train, as I'm sure both of you can relate to. And so I was about three years into my business of going to conferences and events. And of course, a lot of them HR and recruiting related conferences and events, since that's my kind of career history and background. And I had attended a local HR association meeting and saw someone I always try. I mean, I'm introverted, but I've learned how to network professionally. And so I do look for people who maybe are looking for someone to speak to or whatever. And so at this HR association event, I saw someone new, young guy, and went over and just kind of introduced myself. And he was the founder of an HR technology company based here in Cincinnati. Sounded really interesting. And he was just getting started and was not an HR person. So he had come to the meeting to really kind of learn more about his target customer, you know, not to sell, he wasn't there trying to give out business cards or anything like that. He really wanted to get to know the HR leader. And so after we struck up a conversation, he said, you know, with your HR background and your network, would you be willing to kind of advise me as I start this journey? And so that was where our relationship started. His name is Chris Ostich, O-S-T-O-I-C-H. The company was called Black Book HR. It's now called Talmetrics, I believe. He's exited that company and is on to some other things. But we were having lunch a couple of times a year just to hear about what's going on in his company and, you know, to offer my advice, I guess. And so at one of those lunch meetings, at the end of hearing about some of the great things that were going on for his company, uh, he said, what's new with you? What are you thinking about? And so I just spent, like I said, about three years maybe attending anywhere from 50 to 70 conferences, events each year seeing a lot of the same people on stages and hearing a lot of the same topics. And I always say that's not a criticism of HR conferences or events because the average HR leader probably goes to one state HR conference maybe and maybe the national conference. So they're not seeing, you know, the same people on 40 or 50 stages, even though I was. But I had kind of just put in my head, wouldn't it be really cool to have an event in Cincinnati where I'm from or where I live bring in some of the people that I knew who were talking about new and different things, or maybe topics would never make it on a conference stage or event, or even to offer the opportunity for some voices out there that we were not hearing from. So when Chris asked me that question, I said, you know, I'm just kind of thinking about this, you know, opportunity to maybe host my own event someday. And I always say he's a classic entrepreneur. He whips out his notebook when you say about anything and he starts talking about how, how you can do this. You know, he gets really excited for you and this can happen and you can make it happen. You can make a lot of money doing this. And this would be a great idea. And I am an idea person, but not so much about taking that idea to the next stage. So we had a good conversation and he kind of like got really excited for the idea. And then a couple of weeks later, he called and said, you know, I've been talking with my team and 
I really think this could be something that would be great. We'd be happy to help you. It would help us to kind of connect with our our potential customers in the community, get the name out about our company. And he, at the time, was the community organizer for Ignite events in Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So if you're familiar with Ignite events, mm-hmm. they're community-oriented events with five-minute, 20-slide, 15-second talks. And so he said, why don't we use that Ignite format? We'll invite some cool people who aren't some typical speakers on HR or recruiting conference stages, and we'll make it happen. So we did, December 2013. We had everyone from a local politician who didn't speak about politics. He talked about attracting young talent to Cincinnati. Uh, We had a Vietnamese restaurant owner who talked about how Asians are the forgotten minority in the city of Cincinnati. The diversity and inclusion efforts were primarily focused on African-American and and Hispanic Mm -hmm. leaders. We had the elusive HR leader from Procter & Gamble, which if if you are in Cincinnati, you know, you don't see them out in the wild. They don't go anywhere. So actually see one out and to have that person speak on stage was interesting. And I gave a talk about awesomeness and Chris talked about big data bullshit. So (laughs) we had Steve Brown, who's who can't have an HR event anywhere in the world without Steve Brown. So we had a great time. It was at a microbrewery here that had been refurbished. There were ping pong tables and cornhole and picnic tables for people to sit on. And it was just a different event. People had a lot of fun. We had about 250 people. And a friend of mine from Denver attended because she was speaking in Indianapolis. And I told her it was just a quick hour and a half drive over. So she should come on. And she did. And she enjoyed it. And her name's Mary Faulkner. And after the event, she said, I'd love to do this in Denver. And so it really kind of, we were thinking, you know, let's do this in Cincinnati. Mary helped us to see that it could be done elsewhere. And then over the next year and a half, I think we ended up with about 12 or 14 people in cities around the world reaching out and saying, we've seen the videos online. Can we do this? And so in 2015, I think it was, Chris and I formed the partnership and and opened it up to the world. Pre-March 2020, we had 158 licensed cities in 37 countries, over 5,000 Disrupt HR talks line, the videos and over 300 events around the world. And and last year, 2020 would have been the biggest year. We already had more events scheduled than we had previously. So things kind of went, went downhill quickly for us and the rest of the world in terms of live events. Beginning in March, it was like every day, 10 or 12 events would get canceled. So we decided to pause our licensing process tell everybody to be safe, to do what they needed to do to take care of their own health and their own businesses. And then we restarted our licensing process in April of 2021 and are still kind of going through our previous license holders to see who still wants to be involved. And so far, about 90% of them are excited to continue. And we already have about 25 events scheduled out there on the calendar. So you did not do virtual events last year? We didn't. And I, Chris and I talked about that. You know, it's like a lot of things. If the 100 and what I said, 158 license holders, I'd say 20% of them were like gung ho, let's do virtual. 20% of them were like, I'm just trying to figure out life. I don't have time to think about anything else. And then, you know, 60% were in, in the middle of just meh. And I personally had a lot going on. You know, both of my business speaking and also Disrupt HR went to zero over, over about a two week period. I was I had some family illness and and just a lot of things. And I wasn't really for the idea of trying to figure out StreamYard and 
it's all a volunteer effort. I mean, we charge $500 for a licensing fee for a city, so we're not getting rich. This is not a money-making opportunity. We really are trying to help people get their ideas out in the world. And so we bring in enough money to run our website, host the videos, and have a VA do five hours a week of work. So I was not up for the, the challenge of virtual events. But I also, Chris and I met a couple of times virtually, even though we're in the same city, to talk about the original purpose of Disrupt HR was to provide an opportunity for people who had an idea about the workplace or the future of work to share it. And what we didn't want was for, again, to be the same people who are speaking all, you know, on conferences or at events all over the world. We love, and, and I particularly love that Disrupt HR brings a lot of people to the stage who've never spoken before. Some of them are terrified. Some of them do it really badly, but if they have fun while they're doing it badly, the audience is forgiving, even if they're not having fun. The audience is forgiving at our events because it's five minutes. You know, they've got a drink in their hand. They're at a bar or, you know, a theater or something having a good time. And we feel like, we felt like that a lot of people had the opportunity to speak at Disrupt HR events that, you know, never would get invited to speak on a conference stage or never wanted to speak on a conference stage in front of hundreds of people. So the thought of going virtual and again, as a speaker, I did plenty of virtual events myself over the last year and a half. It's harder. It is harder, I believe, as a speaker to be engaging, to connect with the community, to just be good virtually. So what we didn't want to happen was if Disrupt HR events went virtual, then you would really need to get good speakers to hold people's attention, which again, in our mind, kind of defeated the purpose. We love a mix of good speakers and professional speakers and people who speak all the time, along with people who've never spoken. And I personally didn't want to see someone sitting on the floor in their bedroom in the dark, trying to give a five minute, 20 <laughs> slide, 15 second talk badly. Yeah, yeah Jennifer, I was going to ask you if there's a personal favorite speech or idea that's come out of Disrupt HR that's really stuck with you that you'd love to share with the listeners. Yeah, I've, I've not obviously been, I've tried to watch all 5,000 videos, my guess. I probably, <laughs> right. I probably watched about 2,500. I, for a while, was working my way through a few every day. But I still stick with one from the very early days. It was in Denver, their second event, I believe, August of 2015, a guy named Greg Roach, R-O-C-H-E. And his talk was about idea, sex, and talent management. And I was there. I was speaking in Denver, so I attended their event. And I just sat in the audience and I went, that was a perfect Disrupt HR talk because it was cheeky, to use you know the British word. Mm -hmm. Idea sex was a James Altucher idea that he kind of applied, you know, and it said things like be promiscuous with your ideas. You know, he had really good graphics and he delivered it perfectly. And so I always tell people that's a good talk because the idea was a singular idea. It was delivered really well. It was fun and funny, but yet there was a point that you could walk away with of something you could do. So that's one of my favorites. Did when I disrupt HR four years ago. And it was a year after they had done TED Talk. So TED Talk was you know, excellent preparation. You know, one is focus on that one idea and then get it under 18 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I think my talk came in about 13 or so. And if I had to do the same talk again, it would be a 10-minute talk. So it was helping and concise. But I think I got this made. Disrupt HR, I can talk about any subject in you know five minutes, 20 slides, no brainer. Getting your idea that concise, that compact, and then 
changing the imagery because that's what you're doing. You're basically every 15 seconds is what's the imagery behind that has really impacted me on how I present because I tend to use a lot of slides and I know some people will put one slide up and talk for 15 minutes on it. I use a lot of slides, but they keep moving and it's the imaging and it's part of the storytelling. So, you know, it was amazing. And I'm glad to hear this. One of my questions was, how did you come up with the 15 second slides? And when I was planning it, that was crazy. (laughs) We stole that idea. Yeah. (laughs) Good ideas are worth stealing. (laughs) Now we're coming up to the end. Love to get you back and talk a little bit more, especially when you're up, up and running again. Talk also about your other business, which is Unbridled Talent. So be able to talk about some other topics. But for now, how can people get a hold of you, both from people that are thinking of being an organizer and also if people wanted to participate? Sure. For all things Disrupt HR, you can go to disrupthr.co. You can check out the list of cities. There's a tab that shows you the cities that have been licensed. Some of them are currently available because, again, some of our organizers have chosen not to Mm -hmm. renew. So if you find a city that you're interested in and it's available, there is an inquiry form on there that says, I think, inquire about organizing Disrupt HR events. So the best way to do is to apply through that inquiry form because we do first come, first served to check out who's interested and that gets a date and time step on your inquiry. For all things Jennifer McClure, it's jennifermcclure.net. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Jennifer McClure, and on Twitter at Jennifer McClure. And Roxy, I think I had sent you the URL for anyone that's interested to see what a Disrupt HR talk was like. There it is. I, my shortener wasn't working. So I actually, my shortener working, but I couldn't customize it. But you can go up to that and watch the my five minutes of a fame on Disrupt HR. And that was actually one of my, my book had just come out. We were talking about recruiting in the age of Googleization. Got it all. You can either read the book or get it in five minute video. <laughs> <laughs> so, Jennifer, it's great to meet. Thanks very much. Thank you, Jason, for the introduction as well. Sure, we'll be following up with you. Hopefully, we can get you back on the air. All right. That would be great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, Jennifer. Bye. Jason, we're almost finished our, our first show together. You know, 2.0, I guess. Maybe 3.0. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, Googleization. Thanks for being here. Great questions. And I really, really look forward to having you join me on future events. What was the first experience like on Geek Skeezers? Your second. Now you're on the flip side. <laughs> yeah. You, you told me up front, you said, Jason, it goes by fast. <laughs> and boy, are you right. It's like we entered a wormhole and we came out the other side five minutes later, even though it's a 45, 50 minute show. And that just shows how much fun it is. Wonderful guests. And you do a great job of making me and the guests comfortable. So very excited. Great first day and looking forward to next week already. Thanks. So and next week, uh, actually be two weeks that we're going to do this live. Next week, there will be we'll be repurposing reissue one of the more popular shows. And then we'll go back into the library and we may combine a few of those. But I will be speaking one o'clock Eastern time equivalent of one o'clock Eastern time out in Las Vegas, Sherm Talent. We're going to be talking about adaptability, what we talked about during the commercial. So we will be there. But in two weeks, September 1st, we will be back. Our guest of that day, we're going to have two Gen Zs. I know um, Richard did an interview this week. How do we recruit Gen Zs? What do they want? How do we reach them? How do we retain them? And we're going to hear directly from them. These are two young superstars, Gen Zs, and what caught my attention, I was on another panel and they were talking about TikTok. Somebody asked about using TikTok for recruitment. And one of them was hired 
using TikTok for their most wow. current, and one of them's using it to to recruit. So we're get, we're going to hear about that. So make sure you, September first, one p.m. Eastern time, Geek Skeezers Googleization. We will be back. Please stay safe, everybody. Delta variants going crazy, especially different parts of the country. Your home, be safe. If you're traveling, be safer. Jason, we will, I'm sure, be talking to you before the next Geek Skeezers and Googleization, but it's a pleasure having you here. I look forward to that. Check out Jason's company, Do Lead. Check out my company, Success Performance Solutions. And as we always close the show, don't let the shift hit your plans.